Welcome to the Gritty Leaders Club, a podcast that asks the hard questions about leadership. Each episode explores the tension or paradox of leadership, asking how founders, entrepreneurs, and scale-up CEOs decide which way to turn. My name is Ian Windle. And I'm Ben Wales. Joining the two of us, we'll have guests, founders and leaders of successful businesses, sharing their stories, as well as authors, keynote speakers, and experts digging into the rough and smooth of leading. If you like what you hear, subscribe and join the club. Tell us your opinion, ask a question, or introduce a guest. We'd love to hear from you. Well, hi, Ben, and welcome back. How are you feeling? Really good. Hi, Ian. How are you? No, I'm good. I'm really excited, energised. I've just been speaking to Grant Leboff, who's our first guest on the podcast, and he had loads to say about marketing. Great. Yeah, I love Grant. He always gets me thinking. And Ian, it's brilliant to be on to the marketing topic. We've not mentioned marketing so far. It's such a large, difficult topic, isn't it? There's so much to it. It's changing all the time as well. Always a new trend or technology. But Ian, do you know, the thing that bugged me is that old maxim. Half the money I spend on marketing, advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. That's tough. In a scale-up business, we're not yet Coca-Cola. We have a limited budget. And not being as confident as we wish about our marketing spend, that's a problem. That makes it tricky. But actually, the most demanding thing, as soon as we begin marketing, it requires us, doesn't it, to be absolutely clear about who we are, what our product or service is, why it matters, why it's relevant. And getting crystal clear on that, it's a challenge, particularly in the early chapters of a startup and scale-up company's life. So I can't wait. In fact, Ian, why don't you introduce Grant to our audience and let's hear what the two of you talked about. So let me start by giving our listeners a bit of background on you. You're the author of five Amazon best-selling books. The latest is The Myths of Marketing, and we might get onto that later. But if not, I'm sure we'll weave some of those myths through the podcast. You're a thought leader, a speaker, both nationally and internationally on marketing and sales. You're a consultant and you're the owner of the Sticky Marketing Club. What a great name. So if there's any resources, videos, blogs on marketing that listeners would like, then they can go to the Sticky Marketing website and access them straight away. So Grant, let's kick off. We're in the middle of a pandemic and it seems to be getting slightly worse at the moment, sadly. What's the effect been on the world of marketing? Yeah, interesting question, Ian. So there's probably a few things I could say. I, I suppose the first thing is, of course, budgets have been cut, mm. which you can understand. It's the wrong thing to do, by the way, but budgets have been cut, so you can kind of understand that. So so one thing it's done to marketing is it it's, it's meant that a lot of CMOs and marketing directors out there have got less money to spend. Mm. I think the second thing it's done from a comms perspective, from a communications perspective, is, of course, it's shifted even more budget online because when, you know, people aren't in offices, if you're in B2B uh, communications, online is the channel, isn't it? So it's Mm -hmm. always been 
online heavy, I think, these days, but even more so. So that's the second thing it's done. Mm-hmm. But the third thing I think it's done, which perhaps people will be a little bit more surprised to hear, is I think it's made marketing even more strategically important because one of the things I've been saying to a lot of my own clients that I work with is let's go back to the drawing board and let's look at two things. Let's look at your targeting segmentation of the market mm-hmm. because, you know, in a, in a in a climate where winning work is even harder than ever before for many businesses, then let's be even more relevant. And maybe that means looking at the segmentation and our targeting, narrowing it a bit more, you know, how can we make ourselves even more relevant to, to the right audiences, as it were? And then the second part of that, which is linked, is looking at your value proposition again and reevaluating mm. at that. And what a lot of companies do is, you know, they have a totality of products and services that they offer, perhaps in a, a normal marketplace or a marketplace that's growing, that's fine. But when you're in a retracting market where, you know, people are conserving cash and worried about the future, it might be that you need to cut up your value proposition and say, you know, at the moment, this bit's really relevant. And maybe we should w- not worry about s- trying to sell other stuff. Let's just try mm. and sell this piece of the product or service that we offer, because actually there's some low hanging fruit there and we can win some business. And of course, at, at the moment, people are desperate to do that. So, you know, there's, there's several effects that I think this pandemic is having on marketing and marketing strategy. And do you feel, I mean, I, I, working with all the CEOs and directors I am, and I, I can't see this is probably much different from the marketing, but you'll tell me, people seem to be focusing a lot more on getting value for money, what their business does, looking short-term, shorter-term visions, really saying, well, what do we do and where are we going? A lot, a lot more f- focused on what their business is trying to do, how to get more out of the market. I just think there's more strategic decision making is probably better away days even though they might be on zoom you know people are just focused down on on what they're doing with their business now are you seeing that in marketing yeah yeah i am i mean i think you know no no one wants a recession right no i mean no one but the thing about recessions is they often say that they get rid of some of the you know the chaff that's around Mm um that's a rather unkind way of putting things sometimes but but i think what it does is you know i think all companies sometimes in a growing marketplace get away with kind of not really being as sharp and as on the money as they could be and of course what a recession does what a pandemic's doing is it's forcing you to go and sharpen the pencil as it were and say actually where are we really adding value what are we really good at where can Mm. we really make a difference because of course you've got to be offering something superb in a marketplace where people are worried to spend money and worried about, you know, what the future is going to bring. But if you can offer something really fantastic and really relevant to whatever audience you're working with, you know, people will still go for it. So mm-hmm. I think for a lot of companies at the moment, absolutely right. They're having to be better than ever. And, and in some ways, there's some positives to take from that. You know, I, I know people are suffering, so you're always quite concerned to to put this the wrong way. But I think, you know, if companies can come out of this sharper, better at what they do, more relevant, more focused, that's not necessarily a bad thing for the future. Mm, yeah, I, I, I think that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I've seen companies doing extraordinarily well, but they're the ones who were probably pretty well focused before, they 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 were very clear what they did 
And they've gone back to things like, what's my strategy? Where, where, who are my customers? What do they want? What's the pricing points? Many, many customers have increased their pricing during lockdown, which is interesting, because they realize the value they're giving. So if you're, if you're running a C, an SME or you're the marketing director, where, where should they be putting their money now? Where's the biggest bang for their buck now? Has it changed in, in, in the recent times or is it the same as it's always been or the same as it's been for the last sort of 12 months? You know, where, where do they get the biggest bang for their buck now? Yes, it's a good question. And I suppose the thing about that is it's going to vary on the business and who the audience is and everything else. But I would always say to people, in marketing communication specifically, the most precious resource out there in the market, and I would have said this, I've said this for many years, and I would have said this, you know, pre-COVID, is people's attention. And mm. therefore, for me, it's putting your money in places where you can win your audience's attention and when you can start engaging the audience. Because what you want from marketing, essentially, from your marketing communications, is when someone's ready to buy, you're in their buying set. You come front of mind. Doesn't guarantee you the work, doesn't guarantee you the job, but you know, it gets you a long way down the track. So for me right now, it would be saying to companies, where does your audience hang out? How can you add value to them? I don't mean from a sales perspective, I mean from an engagement perspective. And let's make sure that we are hanging out in those right places and we are you know, giving that value so we can build that audience and that market attention because the money ultimately is in the attention that you have. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of the things that always sticks in my mind, Grant, from you speaking to one of my Vistage groups a while ago was the phrase, we all run media channels. Now, is that as relevant as it always was? And I think at the time we were talking about the increases in video and everyone has to be doing video. And so is, is, is that phrase still ringing in my ears today? And are we still all running media channels? And is that some of what you're talking about when you say grabbing their attention and getting their attention? Yeah, interesting. I, I actually think it's even more relevant. I mean, it, mm. I think it was relevant, obviously, at the time. But I think it's even more relevant now because I think that COVID, in many ways, hasn't changed the market. It's accelerated the changes that were happening. And, you know, things were migrating online. Buying journeys have been migrating online for many years. I've got many stats to prove that. And all that's happened now, of course, is that's been accentuated because a lot of people can only have relationships online at the moment, you know, whether it's a Zoom call, you know, whether it's engaging with a video. So I mm. think that video, being able to create customer experiences in an online world, which then mm. makes you attractive for the offline world. All of this has become even more accentuated and even more important um, than it's ever been. And funnily enough, I think a lot of people are thinking about this in the wrong way. And let me just explain that. A lot of people are very binary in their thinking. So what happens is, is they say, well, Zoom's not going to replace face-to-face, is it? You know, video calls aren't going to replace face-to-face. And I think it's the wrong way of thinking about it. I mean, first of all, I don't think it does. I do think, though, that you may have less face-to-face interactions because Zoom supplements and augments it in a way Mm. that, you know, means it's not necessary to get together so many times in a year or whatever with meetings. But the other thing is, is I don't know if you ever remember when VHS video came out 
yeah. people said that that will be the end of cinema. And of mm. course, they were wrong. Actually, cinema did even better when video came out because video ended up as a gateway drug to more cinema. Because mm-hmm. what happened was, is, you know, people could own their favorite films and watch it over and over again, which they haven't been able to do before. They could, you know, films that they wouldn't necessarily have paid to go to the cinema, get a babysitter and all the others to go and see, they were happy to go and get out from their local blockbuster on video. So funnily enough, you know, VHS video became a gateway drug to people consuming even more cinema. And I Mm. think we're like that now with video and Zoom. You know, I don't think Zoom is the end of intimacy and face-to-face. I think it's the gateway drug to more. Because actually, I don't want to talk to you on the phone anymore. I want to mm. be in a Zoom call if you're, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're my supplier, and I would look into the whites of your eyes, and I want more intimacy from you. That doesn't mean I don't want face to face. I do, but rather than meet you six times a year, I might only meet you three. But the other nine or ten interactions will no longer be on the phone. They'll be on video, and they'll be more intimate than they ever were. So I think it's increased intimacy, and it's increased the need for being able to deliver experience in the online world as, as well as, you know, when we're offline and, and together in person. So I think people have to think about it in quite a different way. That's my belief anyway. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because if we were, if we were only doing video now and we're only doing Zoom calls, we'd be giving up writing and blogs, which brings me on to your, your book. So you're still producing books. So you believe people are still going to read stuff. And so tell me, the myths of marketing, I believe it came out earlier this year, didn't it? So what are the myths of marketing that we should be paying attention to, Grant? Yes, a great question. So there are 26 of the books. I (laughs) I won't go through 26, but but in, in, in in the round, if you want to think of it like that, I can be I can be quite blunt. I can say most people don't actually know what marketing is. And that leads to all sorts of problems. You know, most people think marketing is just communications. And actually, communications is one part of marketing. And mm-hmm. not an insignificant part, but it is only one part. So I think one of the myths is people actually don't know what marketing is and what it's there for. I think the second biggest myth is then people don't understand about audiences. And mm-hmm. when I talk about audiences is I'm talking about the difference between segmentation and targeting most people use them interchangeably and they're not the same. And then they talk about B2B and B2C marketing like they're completely different animals and they're not really. Mm. And then actually when you're marketing to human beings, which of course we are, what does that mean in terms of cognitively? What are we trying to talk to? Are we trying mm. to only appeal to logic? Are we trying to appeal to motion? emotion? Does that change in a B2B and B2C environment? Not really. So there's all these myths around those things. And then the final piece, and I'm sort of lumping them in groups here, uh, is the myths around brand. And what does that Mm. mean? And I think there's a lot of SMEs out there that when they hear the word brand on on a small level, go, well, of course, everybody's got a brand, which isn't true. And then on a bigger level, they'll say, and, you know, when it gets to the big boys like the Nikes and Microsoft, obviously I'm an SME, so branding's not for me. And in, in that way. And actually, both of those are wrong. Um, and when you take all of those things in the round, you know, I don't know what marketing is. I don't actually know what that means in terms of my audience and the people that I'm trying to communicate with. And I don't know how brand fits in. Actually, it means that an awful lot of businesses out there 
are struggling with their marketing, struggling to make it effective, struggling to get results. And it's because they don't, there's a real misunderstanding of what it's all Mm. about. And that's really what the book was about. The book was really there to try and, you know, as a handholding guide for, for marketing people, for owners running SMEs to say, look, if you understand these principles, actually you can do so much better with your effectiveness. And obviously that leads to winning customers, et cetera. Yeah, that's nice, isn't it? Because you, you do want to sell to an educated customer. Um, otherwise, you have to go back a step. That sounds great. And I uh, can't wait to read it. But you were on the subject there of branding, which kind of leads me on to another thing, which is personal branding for CEOs, for example. So you know, when we're dealing with a business and SME, you've got the CEO there. I think more and more now, CEOs are realizing that it makes sense for them to get on the local radio or get on the television. You know, I'm working quite a few, have been on Sky News recently and, and so on. And um, so they're looking at what is this whole world of personal branding? And I know you, you starting to do some work in it, we've probably done it for years, but I know we've talked about that recently. So how important is that for CEOs of SMEs to get their heads around? So I think it's very important but I wouldn't call it personal branding. And I think this is part of the issue, you see. So I think it's vital. So everything you've said, I agree with, but I, I, would, I would change it. And I, and I think the change is very, very important. So branding is the process of taking an indistinguishable and inanimate product or service and giving it meaning. So, you mm-hmm. know, the classic example is I've got this liquid called cola in a bottle and without the brand, it could be any cola. It could be Pepsi, Cola, Coca-Cola, R&C Cola, anything else. It's indistinguishable as a product if you just mm. put it in a clear glass, right? But if I put it in the iconic glass cola bottle that everybody knows with the Coca-Cola label, then it has meaning. That's mm-hmm. branding. Yeah. When it comes to personal branding, and I, 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 it's an oxymoron, human beings, by definition, and number one, they're all unique. You know, none of us are exactly the same. We're similar, but we're not the same, right? That's the first thing. And the second thing is, I believe that human beings innately have meaning. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you can't give them meaning. So Mm -hmm. I I reject the idea of personal brand, which, by the way, the the phrase was coined by Tom Peters of of In Search of Excellence back in the 90s. I reject the phrase. I think that it's a misunderstanding of what brand is. Having said that, I believe that in a media world, and we've just we've already discussed it in the fact that we all own media channels today, you know, on social and other things. I think growing reputation and understanding that you're a media personality today, whether you like it or not, because at the end of the day, I can Google you, you can Google me, and we can start to make judgment calls about, you know, how good are you at what you do? Are you someone I want to have a conversation with? That's mm. media, right? Before You've even made the phone call, as it were, or sent an email. So I think the importance of growing reputation, understanding what that means and how to cultivate that reputation and utilize these media channels effectively that are at all of our disposable today, you know, LinkedIn, Facebook, websites, blogs, video, et cetera, is absolutely fundamental. So I, I agree. I'd be saying to every CEO, and to be honest, anybody with a career out there, but, you know, CEO specifically, <laughs> mm. yeah, you absolutely need to build reputation. Think about how you come across online. Think about how you utilize media channels in order to be more effective as a leader, 
more effective for your customer base, uh, more attractive to future employees. All of these things are absolutely vital. I suppose I just I just wouldn't call it brand because I think mm-hmm. that's a, a confusion of what brand is. But I, I know a lot of people do. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's I, I, that's a good, very good point. Uh, tell me, uh, one thing has been massively in the press, especially since I think Trump has accelerated this. How can we have a podcast interview without mentioning Trump? <laughs> I think he's the most Googled name on the planet at the moment, if he hasn't been for the last four years, especially now. But he's accelerated fake news, it, 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 you know, in my, in, in my view. And, and, and it's, it's out there every way, everywhere. It, for SMEs, is there an issue for us running smaller businesses with fake news? As somebody who, who completely gets the internet, technology, and what we're faced with, is this an interview? Is this an issue for us? Or is it really only for the... The big boys out there. It's a good question. I think. Look, I think you could be the, the misinformation that's available online now, because and, and this goes back to what we said, Ian. Essentially, everybody's a news channel, right? Mm. So mm-hmm. you know, I've got a Facebook page, and I can write whatever I want on it, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, unless it's inflammatory or, or or you know, nasty in some way. Actually, if I if I write some rubbish about marketing but it's not inflammatory or horrible to anybody it's just wrong you know mm, uh, mm. dare i say i see a lot of stuff about marketing that's wrong um no one's going to pick me up on it and in fact if someone then reads it and goes oh this is really interesting and shares it with 10 friends yeah you know you could call that fake news in as much i know in as much as it's not right it's incorrect information and it's being spread so i think any business has to be careful about what it's putting out there, how that affects its own reputation, how it wants the market to perceive it as a business and Mm. the knowledge and facts that it's putting out there and where they're verified from. And we're all very guilty. I, I would be very surprised. And by the way, I'd lump myself in this probably embarrassingly, but we've all probably been guilty of spreading fake news at some point. And the reason why is because, you know, your friend of yours who you trust and know very well, read something online, it resonates with that particular human being. So they share it with a few friends. And what tends to happen is you don't verify the source, you verify where you received it from. So if your friend who you trust and like, and by the way, is not trying to mislead you in any way, sends you something and says, oh, Ian, this is really good. And you read it and it resonates with you. And you go, wow. And you know the person who sent Mm. it to you, you know, you trust them, Mm. you might then send it on to five other people. And of course, that's how fake spreads. Um, We we rarely go to the source. We just sort of take it from whoever sent it to us. Of course, someone sends it to you who you don't trust, you'll be very sceptical about whatever you read. But if it's a a human being that you trust and know and like, you're you're off and and, and the information itself resonates, you're very likely to kind of accept it. And we and we all guilty of that to a greater or lesser extent. So we all need to have an awareness. And the company guys, you know, even when you're quoting stats, just make sure you've verified it because that's how a company, I think, spreads fake news. Someone reiterates a stat that suits you in your market, and you mm. repost it, and you actually haven't verified the source. And then, of course, you can get yourself into trouble. So I think we have to be aware of it. I don't think companies themselves have to be worried about their own reputations from that point. You know, in other words, if you're putting out stories about yourself as a business, 
Mm. You're so, but I think that when you start to use statistics or market trends to back, you know, arguments up or make particular points, I mm. think it's very, very important now to just go back to the source and make mm. sure that you understand, you know, where it's come from and you're happy to put that out. Otherwise, it's very easy for all of us inadvertently, not deliberately to, to end up spreading fake news. And then, of course, get caught out when someone catches you out on it. Yeah. And then, of course, you can besmirch your own company reputation without meaning to. You know, it wasn't intentional at all. So I think we all have to be very, very careful today and just much more savvy about, yeah. you know, the, yeah. I think it's a good point. Yes. I, I think I think the, the problem with the way and the speed at which we can share information exacerbates uh, and you pick something up. I don't think we research it as much as we used to. We pick something up. We think that looks nice. It it, it fits with my view of the world, uh, and I spread it. And before you know it, it's been spread five hundred times, and it may the, the source may not have been checked thoroughly, which I think is one of the issues we kind of have in the world we live in. I, I did a lot of consulting with Toyota, and they've got a, a value actually called Genshi Genbutsu, which is two Japanese words, which means go to the source. So one of their values says to people in Toyota, don't accept anything somebody just tells you they picked up. Go to the source. It's absolutely brilliant. And I, I'm reminded of it so much these days when we don't generally go to the source. But I'd like to sort of finish on some interesting, perhaps, well, I think they're going to be very interesting, I hope, about you, Grant. What's, what's your why? I mean, you, I know how busy you are. I know how long you've been doing this stuff. Yeah, before lockdown, you were telling me you travel around the world, sort of 50 plus flights a year, you know, so you are a busy man. What's your why and what drives you on every day? Yeah, it's a great question. So my my why today and has been really since I've been running Sticky Marketing. So I ran my own agency, which I sold. And then I started Sticky Marketing, which is the business I'm running today. And the why behind Sticky Marketing, and it hasn't really changed, and we've touched on it actually during this this, uh, discussion, is if you like to spread the gospel of marketing, which, and what I mean by that is there are so many myths and lies spoken about marketing. And, and that in itself isn't a problem. There's myths and lies spoken about lots of things in the world, you know, so what? But my passion is, I, want, I don't want businesses to mess up and businesses to fail because, they, because of the misunderstanding. So I am absolutely passionate about, you know, going around the world and educating customers and educating audiences just so they can do things better to minimize the risk that they're going to mess up. Because I think there's nothing more tragic for me as a marketer and someone that, you know, has lived and breathed marketing for many years to see a business screw up, not be, not for any fault of theirs, but because there's just general misunderstanding about what, you know, a brand is or how they target their audience or whatever else. And there's nothing greater reward for me. There's no greater reward than when I'm, uh, in fact, I still get it on Zoom now at the moment in lockdown, but there's no greater reward than, you know, when you're speaking in front of an audience and you can just see the penny drop in a few mm. people's faces and you go, they've got it. And that's great because you know that if they've got it, when they go back to their businesses, they're going to do things better. Let's say they were doing things wrong in the first place, but better than they were. And if that leads to some business success for those individuals, and then of course it's their staff, the people employ, and it, you know, it affects a lot of people, then families and others, then that's really what gets me out of bed in the morning. And, and because I love what I do, 
you know, really does motivate me to to try and educate. And that's why I write books, by the way, the same thing. Mm-hmm. Try and debunk the myths out there, de- debunk, or, you know, the lies and just, just try and assist people, just be better at what they do. Well, that's a brilliant why. And I think we'll we'll draw a line under it there, Grant. It's been terrific having you on the podcast. I love your view on marketing. I love your why. I can't wait to read your book. So good luck through the pandemic, which we all need a bit of luck through. And I'll see you soon. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ian. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Wow. Well, that was, uh, that was a great episode. I think um, I certainly got loads out of that. And I hope our listeners will. We covered a huge amount of ground. Uh, what about you, Ben? What was, the, what was the, the big highlight for you out of that? Yeah, I agree. Well, along the way there, I liked Grant's point about how Zoom accentuates other communication face-to-face and, and it works in combination. That's uh, a good way to think about it. But the real point for me is this idea of audience, because if I think of audience, it raises questions who do we want to appeal to? What are they tuning in for? Are they listening? Are they tuning in? Is our content good? Are we keeping them engaged? I think it's a lovely way to think about marketing activity. How about you, Ian? Well, I was I was so impressed with just his breadth and depth of knowledge, which um, I shouldn't have been surprised at, of course, because he knows his stuff, that's for sure. I think the interesting thing was um, towards the end when I said what what's his why and what drives him on every day. And uh, for me, um, I just loved his response, which was to say, you know, my, my passion is really to see the people, you know, you talked about audience, to see the people I'm interacting with and to see the penny drop, have an aha, decide to go and do something differently as a result. So there's real purpose, there's real meaning, there's a real passion behind what he does which uh i think is uh, is wonderful to to hear about yes definitely thanks for teeing that up ian let's wrap up in a few days time i'm talking to luke fisher luke is founder and ceo of a startup a scale up now called mo who are all about engagement another great topic for us to explore how do we get our people massively engaged in what we're doing then you and I shortly will be recording an episode called Lazy Leadership. So I'm looking forward to that and I'll see you for that back here. Can't wait, Ben. Cheers for now. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gritty Leaders Club. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and join the club. If you'd like to ask a question or offer an opinion or even suggest a guest, please get in touch with ian at ianwindle.com or Ben at benwales.com. We'd love you to join our club and tell us what you think.